Reverend, with your permission, I'd like to make an announcement. Young man, this is a house of God. I understand that, Reverend. I apologize. The South Carolina militia is being called up. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Son, we are here to pray for the souls of those men hanging outside. Yes, pray for them. But honor them by taking up arms with us. And bring more suffering to this town? If King George can hang those men, our friends, he can hang any one of us. Dan Scott, barely a week ago, I heard you rail for two hours about independence. And? Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us? It was from a movie called The Patriot. Perhaps you saw it. It was about America in her inception, the Revolutionary War, about how men, and men were rising up across the countryside to stand for their nation. I don't know if you've ever heard of what's called the Black-Robed Regiment. It's a true story about how literally ministers across pulpits across the eastern seaboard, they would preach in their robes, and underneath their robe was their uniform when they went to fight in the Revolutionary War. But I want to ask you this question. That clip as it started, it's kind of like being at home sometimes. You've got to give it an extra a couple starts. But what made those men? Now, when they got to church, they saw that some of their friends were literally hanging, hung by the neck by the British. So you see your friends there. You're going in church. Then you know that it could happen to you. Now, I want to ask you this question. Why would the scene change like that? Why would these men, knowing that they could be killed just like their friends were, why would they be willing to stand up and say, I will fight for America? I'll tell you why, friends. It's because they had a conviction that freedom was worth dying for. Can I say it again? They had a conviction in their heart that freedom, that, that liberty, was worth giving their life for. Now, this word conviction is what I'm going to speak about this evening. 
Convictions define what's important to us. Convictions cause us to make sacrifices. Convictions make us stand up when wrong is being done or an injustice. Uh, our faith, our unshakable faith, is founded on biblical convictions. And as Christians, we're willing to pay a price for what we believe. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And I started a series last week called Unshakable Faith. And if you were here last week, we talked about the biblical character Joseph. Joseph was a man who had this unshakable faith. And the key word we looked at last week was the word waiting. Joseph literally waited 22 years for the promise that he had as a 17-year-old boy before he actually saw it fulfilled. And the sense was that unshakable faith helped him to wait. Well, this evening I want to talk about conviction. And conviction founded upon the Bible gives us courage to stand up for what's right and to resist what's wrong in the world we live today. And how many know all of us, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, everyone needs convictions in life. Everyone needs to have that set of principles and values that define us, that we stand up for, and that, we, that gives us meaning to our lives. Uh, this evening we're going to speak about little Old Testament, little New Testament. We're going to look at three guys in the Old Testament that embodied conviction, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends, and then we're going to look at a little contrast in the New Testament at a man named Stephen. But we're going to look at these biblical characters who had conviction based on God's Word and were willing to stand up for what they believed. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to... Um, Actually, why don't you make your way to Daniel chapter 3. I want to share just a little bit more background for its 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13. Now, by the way, all of our messages and our services you can find on our webpage, churchintherock.org. Uh, you can download it to your phone. You can listen to it. You can watch it. But 1 Corinthians 16, 13, let's talk just a second about this word conviction again and understand it because there is power in conviction. The Message Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 to keep your eyes open. And what's it say next? Hold fast, hold fast to your convictions. Keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got, and be resolute. Give it all you've got and be resolute. Hold fast to your convictions. Now, convictions by definition simply mean a strong persuasion or a belief. The conviction is a set of principles that you live by, and everybody's got them. Modern-day modern politicians have convictions, too, and their convictions is pretty much, I'll lick my finger, I'll see which way the wind's blowing, and that's what I'm going to believe today. Whatever I have to say to get what I want, that's what's important to me, and that's my conviction. Well, how many know we as Christians view things a little bit differently? This idea of convictions gives us stability, gives us staying power. When your beliefs are grounded in the Bible, when they're grounded in the Word of God, it gives you the courage to stand for what's right. As a parent, your conviction that you have about how your children should live. Guess what? Your kids are going to encounter things that they're going to pick up at school or on the television, the Internet, and they'll try to bring that in your home and into your family life, and you'll simply say, you know what? That's not the way we live here. That's not the way we dress. That's not the way we talk. That's not the kind of music we listen to as Christian people, and that's a conviction that you help shape your child with. Well, how I many know that's every parent's responsibility is to shape the convictions of their children? And similarly, it's the responsibility of every Christian to stand up for convictions that are based in God's Word. Now, history is filled with examples of men and women who had strong conviction. Back again to the Revolutionary War, it was 1775. You remember a man named Patrick Henry, his famous speech at the uh, Virginia Convention. He ended his speech by saying, give me... 
Now, how did you remember that? Of all the speeches of old, that phrase is cemented in our minds, give me liberty or give me death. Well, guess who was at that convention listening to him? It was two men who would be presidents. One was George Washington, and the second was Thomas Jefferson. They were there as Americans were trying to decide, is our freedom an important enough conviction that we would stand to whatever we might have to face? Any former Marines or existing Marines here? Let me see your hand. Any Marines? Okay, I see a couple here. You'll remember this, Article 1 of the Marine Code of Conduct. I am an American fighting in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. And listen, I am prepared to give my life in their defense. First thing, first article that they would, as a Marine, I believe in my country, I believe in the system of values that give us shape as America, and I'm willing to, my conviction is, give my life if I have to for the sake of my country. Now, listen, conviction led Jesus to the cross. It was conviction that led the early disciples to uh, abandon their businesses like Peter did. He left his business. Uh, Many of the disciples did, and they did it to follow Jesus. It was a conviction that following Christ was worth the cost. Now listen, most convictions that we have in life are not life-threatening. But how many know we all need to have convictions that define our lives, define our families, and define our churches? Good time to say amen. Say, I'll preach better and probably shorter if you amen a little louder. How about that? Conviction, conviction, you, you should, hopefully, I have a conviction about drugs. I mean, there was a time in my youth where my conviction was different, but my conviction today is my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to file it with drugs. I'm not going to allow myself to live a life of drunkenness because the Bible warns me against it. It actually tells me to be filled with the Spirit. How many know if you're a young person, a single person, or a married person, God has sexual standards and boundaries that He's given to all of us. And how many know those convictions, uh, those boundaries become our convictions? If you're single and not married, I hope you have the conviction is that you're going to be sexually pure until you marry. If you're here and you're a married person, I hope your conviction is as a man that you're going to love your wife. Yeah, and that if you're a woman, that you're going to honor and respect your husband. See, that's rooted in the Bible, and these are convictions that are part of this unshakable faith that define our lives. We live in a world today that religion is kind of eclectic. You kind of make it up as you go. You take the things you want, and you resist the rest. Well, listen, that's not what we believe. That's not what this church stands for. We believe the Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation, and God's commandments are not suggestions. Come on. They're commands, and they become convictions whereby we live our lives. Now, let's go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now. Go to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look, spend most of our time with them this evening. That's a lengthy chapter, and I'm going to summarize it a bit. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Jewish men, and they came to this place of slavery, to Babylon. They came with uh, Daniel. And if you know their story, if you looked in the first chapter of Daniel, you would see that they're ones who experienced judgment that had fallen on the nation because of their sin. So here they go, godly men, but they're marched off into slavery or captivity. But as soon as they get there, their convictions begin to arise. Remember their first conviction when they were going to have an opportunity to be one of the advisors to the king and they wanted to kind of fatten them up and get them smart? Well, these guys wouldn't go to the pagan celebrations. Likely the food that they were serving, most of the people there had been dedicated to idols. And they said, you know what? We're not going to eat all that stuff. Just give us some vegetables and water. And guess what God did? God made them ten times smarter than everyone else and they begin to be promoted. Well, here they are, they're in a difficult situation, but they show conviction, it's courage, it's backbone. They show it from the get-go, and they make a stand for what's right. 
And it seems like in this book, each time they make a stand, God promotes them further because of that. If you read, the, I think it's chapter 2 in the book of Daniel, all of a sudden this crazy man Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in the middle of the night and basically he says this, if you guys can't interpret it for me, my magi magicians and astrologers, I'm going to kill the lot of you. Well, lo and behold, Daniel's there. Daniel prays. God gives him the answer. And this, this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, says, you know what? If God's hand is on you like that, then I'm going to promote you and give you a position of power. So here again, God is promoting these guys up the ladder as they go. Well, now we begin chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're kind of in mid-level government in terms of their culture and society. In verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now that was a lot of gold. And how many know at $1,300 an ounce, you'd be a wealthy man today. 90 feet tall. So probably what? Four times as tall as this building is. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and then a herald shouted this, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, I want you to bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. So now things are different. Now they're no, uh, aware that idolatry is coming into play. Look at verse 6. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, how many know when there's no cost, your convictions are really not revealed? But when there's a price to pay, when there is, when there is a cost that's attached to it, you see what you really believe. Verse 8, we've got some tattletales. Some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. So that's the context. Here's this idol, and these Jewish men are refusing to bow down and worship it. But can I ask you this question first? What was the big deal? I mean, what was the big deal? Here, this big statue, everybody's doing it. And you could avoid a lot of trouble if you just go along with the crowd. Have you ever been there? Everybody's doing it. It's not a big deal. You see people there. And if you'll just go along with the crowd, you won't have a problem. But can I tell you, they didn't go along with the crowd. And you know why they didn't? It's because they had conviction. Yeah, they had conviction. And it was based on the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. God had told the children of Israel, and it was written on stone, where God said, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or the waters below, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, I want to suggest to you, you and I face things all the time. Most are not life-threatening to us, but all of which call into question our Christian convictions, our lifestyle based on the teachings of the Bible. You see, the Bible was the basis of their convictions, but they had a decision to make. Society said one thing, but God's Word said something else. Now, how many know that's exactly what's going on in America today? There's such huge parallels here. Our society is trying to do everything in its power to get rid of authentic biblical Christianity, to demonize or marginalize anyone that would embrace it. Everything else is okay, but those people who would believe that the Bible is God's Word, who would believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation, uh, we're depicted as the bad guys today. And increasingly, you may find at your workplace one day, if you refuse to go along with some sensitivity training, if you refuse to, for example, if you, if you work at a, at a hospital, you know, part of the discussion, and I don't know where it ended up, 
but part of the discussion when the government was taking over health care was whether hospitals would have to perform abortions, whether pharmacists would have to give, give out the morning after pill, and it was a matter of conscience to religious people who believed the Bible that life was represented in the womb. And you may say, well, what's the big deal? But when it becomes conviction to us, it gives us power to stand. And what I want to tell you, my friends, is we need to be willing to stand no matter what society says or what society does. Can I get a hand on that one? See, no matter what the world tells us to do, if the Bible says it's right, because we believe the Bible is authoritative truth, it is absolute truth, it is still as relevant today as it was the day as it was written. So, but clearly, not all convictions worth dying for. How many no, say amen to that? I mean, anybody love the Cowboys? And that, now, how far are you going to go with those, those Cowboys? Okay, we're going to, I mean, have convictions for your ball team, but listen, at some point, enough's enough. Have you known anybody that worshipped a sports team? Maybe you used to worship a sports team. I, yeah, I saw a, a little news reel the other day with this guy that was so engrossed and immersed in baseball, everything about his life defined him. In when he got buried, he got buried in a casket, and it was all decorated with his ball team's favorite colors. Well, how many know that's a waste of life? That conviction, those sports is great, and I love them, but at some point, it's a sport. Now, I mean, no, I believe we should all be concerned with our environment and what goes on in our world today, but there are some people that literally worship the earth. And they're not just trying to protect the planet. They're trying to, they're trying to get rid of people, basically, so the earth can be as it is, and they don't care about anything else. I would suggest to you that it's a cause that's not worth dying for. How about the argument in America today over same-sex marriage? Some people literally are giving their lives and will do anything to advance the agenda. But when you stand before God, if that's what you've embraced, and listen, if the Bible's true, and if it's teachings from Genesis to Revelation or binding, you've got a real problem if you gave your whole life to defending same-sex marriage rather than the sanctity of a man and a woman birthed in Genesis 2.24. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So listen, all, not all causes are worth dying for. Not all causes are worth living for. But as Christians, if we base our values and what's important to us on the Bible, that's where we need to take our stand, even if it's a cost to it. All right, let's explore it a little bit deeper. Because there was a cost that these guys were going to have to pay. Now look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after the king had threatened to throw them in the fireplace, listen to what they said to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, mind you, Nebuchadnezzar is not like an official today. There were no legal protections. The king was the absolute authority, an absolute monarch. And basically, if the king didn't like you, he could just have you beheaded at the moment. Well, you know their story. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Now, look, listen to this, conviction speaking. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Now, that's powerful faith, isn't it? That if I lose my job with you, sir, the God that I serve is able to give me another job. He will rescue us from your power, majesty. But look at verse 18. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, they're respecting him, but we're not going to serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. So they're being respectful. They're not, you know, they're not some violent fringe group. They're being respectful to the authority, but they're basically saying, listen, listen, man, I'm not going to do it. Even if it costs me my life, I am not going to bow down to your idol because what's more important to me is what God thinks about what I'm doing rather than what you think. Somebody say amen. And that, I mean, no, that took guts. 
verse 28, it, it says it this way. Even these are the words from King Nebuchadnezzar. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, that's pretty heady, isn't it? Let me ask you, what convictions would you be willing to die for? What would you be willing to die for in your life? I would be willing to die to defend my wife and my children. If someone broke in my house and uh, it was me or them, I would not bail out the window and say, Linnell, take care of it, baby. <laughs> I mean, I'd be willing to defend my family like that. But what, what would you be willing to die for? Because here's the deal. If, if you're not willing to die for anything, if nothing grounds you like that, then what are you really living for? See, if you don't have something that, that, that defines your life in such a fashion that you would take your stand like they did in the Revolutionary War, you know, give me liberty or give me death. If you don't have defining marks in your life like that, I'll suggest to you, you will live a life of mediocrity the rest of your life and you will simply go along with the crowd wherever the crowd is going. I'm preaching better than you're amening this evening. See, but convictions may carry a big price tag. Can I say this? Stand up for your convictions anyway. If your convictions are biblical convictions, if they carry a big price tag, stand up anyway. Because can I say this? Earth is not your home. Earth is not your home. And if you have to suffer because you're a Christian, because you're standing for Christ, it should be a badge of honor. Now listen, these guys, praise the Lord, they had faith for a miracle, but their conviction made them willing to risk their life. It's what we call courage. It's what we call backbone. It's willing to stand up for what's right because it's right. And here's what many people do. Many people will stand up as long as it's not much of a cost to pay. As long as the price is not too great. But if the price becomes too great, I'll back down. I, I think this is kind of America today. It's almost like we're, we're, we're like drunken men with our prosperity and our success. And the, the country is slipping through the citizens' fingers. I mean, our nation is in grave trouble. I think part of the reason for the Tea Party is so shifting the, the conversation in America today is because these are not lunatics. These are men, women, black, white, uh, liberal, conservative. They're people that believe that America should return to the values that made her great. Come on, that our country needs to balance its budget and live with its end means, its means just like you live within yours. If you get to the limit on your credit card, it's over for you, buddy. So, so there's, there, there are people in America that are standing up, and guess what, what happens, what you hear from the liberal media? They caricature you as an extremist, as a bigot, as a crazy person, as a nut, when you're just trying to say, listen, I believe in the principles that made this nation great. And I believe they're Christian principles. Now, some of you, like me, didn't have the privilege to go to a Christian school. I want to give you a couple quotes about our founding fathers. Our society today would make you believe our founding fathers were just a bunch of people that they called deists. And a deist is someone who believes that God basically wound the world up like an old alarm clock and he just let it go and he's not involved at all. But I want you to listen to some of the words of the founding Americans. John Adams said this. He said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So our Constitution that many are trying to do away with, was made for a religious people. Abraham Lincoln said, It is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Listen to what Patrick Henry said. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often 
that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm grateful today that we have freedom of religion in America, and people can do whatever they want to. They can worship their belly button, or they can worship a tree. But this nation was founded on godly principles. If you don't believe it, just go to, to the monuments in Washington and look at all the Christian sayings. We're being fed a, a, a lot. Listen, this, this last one, Noah Webster. Noah Webster, if you've ever gotten a hold of, of the first dictionary or one of the first few dictionaries, you know those dictionaries, and I've seen a, a copy of one of them. Actually, I have a sample of his old dictionary. The Bible verses are strewn throughout it, and many words are explained using the Bible. Here's what Noah Webster said, and this is worth noting. He said, if a Republican government that is a constitutional republic which we have, if it fails to secure public prosperity and happiness, in other words, if, if the nation is falling apart and the government's not doing its job, he said it must be because the citizens neglect divine commands and they elect bad men to make and administer the laws. And is it possible that we have some bad men making and administering laws? That's why I'm encouraging you, you can register to vote in our church lobby. We'll get it to the clerk for you, not to tell you who to vote for, but to educate you and encourage you as a citizen in the greatest nation on this planet, we need to have conviction and stand up for what's right. Come on, someone say praise the Lord this morning. We'll look at verse 20. You're clapping for me in church. Well, here's what he did to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He threw them in the blazing furnace. And he had it heated, what was it, seven times hotter? And he got these big old goons to throw him in, and it was, kill it was so hot that it was killing the guards trying to throw him in. So get the picture. Into this flaming furnace they go. They fall in there. Look at verse 25. Look, Nebuchadnezzar the king shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. He asked the question, and I'm shortening for time's sake, but he asked the question, didn't we throw three men in? But now I see four, and the fourth looks like a god. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And lo and behold, they came out, stepped out of the fire. And verse 27 says, the fire did not touch them. Wow. Now, who was that fourth man? Yeah, yeah. scholar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar thought it was an angel. But scholars believe it's what's called a Christophany or a Theophany, a, a, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus Christ himself. But somehow, God was in the picture, either himself or with an angel. Right? Can you imagine that? Every law that governs this world was overruled. Fire that would burn everything, killing other people. It didn't even make them smell like smoke. And here's what I want you to see. In this particular passage, when these people stood up for their convictions, God promoted them. God stood with them. God didn't forget them. God didn't turn His back on their lives. When they stood up for what was right and had conviction, God showed up and God showed out. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the result, I'll tell you, if you continued reading, you would see that these men that were like middle management in their government, now the king promoted them to senior management in the government. And not only that, and here's the most important thing, the most important thing in this passage is that God was exalted among a pagan people and the kingdom of God was advanced. See, it's not just about my protection and my freedoms and my things. I mean, no, most importantly, it's about the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if you just looked at the, in a couple chapters, if you keep reading Daniel, you see the same thing happens to Daniel when the king makes another crazy command and says nobody can pray. 
And what is Daniel caught doing? He's caught praying. And where do they throw him? In the lion's den. Did he want to go in the lion's den? No way. But conviction caused him to go there, and it was God who rescued him out of it. Give the Lord a big hand today. Now, I'm gonna, give me just a few more minutes as I close. I want you to go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 51. And for time's sake, I wish I could look at this whole chapter with you. But I want to make this statement to you. Sometimes, standing up for our convictions will cost us. Now, I want to look at a man in the New Testament called Stephen. Now, Stephen, if you know his story, it's early in the history of the church. It's Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6. The persecution has broke out against the church, but Stephen is a deacon. He's unlike any deacon I've ever known. I wish I could be a deacon like that. He was a spirit-filled man. Miracles were happening in his life. When you looked at him, you thought you were looking at an angel. Now, stay with me now. He thought he, you thought you were looking at an angel, and then people start lying about him. Have you found that when you stand up for God, people are going to lie about you? They're going to misrepresent you? Well, that's exactly what they did to Stephen, and these people are making up lies about him. Well, lo and behold, what happens is he starts talking to them in just endearing terms, men and brethren. Now, if you want, in my opinion, the best synopsis of the Old Testament history, you read Acts chapter 6. And what Stephen did is he laid out the whole Old Testament. But what I want you to see, when he got to the end, he didn't just let these guys off the hook, but he got right in their face because he was convicted that he couldn't just patronize them, but he must stand for what was true. Now let's step into the passage, Acts 6, verse 51. Mind you now, for the whole chapter, he's basically talked about their heritage, Moses and Abraham and the fathers. But now, he says, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, which is simply a way of saying, listen, your religion is not worth anything, guys. You're the ones that killed Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and what did he see? He saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, where does the Bible tell us in the book of Hebrews Jesus Christ is today? What's it say? Think now. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's waiting for the command from the Father to go and get your church. He's waiting to come back to this earth again. That's what they said was going to happen. He's coming back, not, not as a baby, but as King of kings and Lord of lords. But now, when Stephen is being persecuted for his conviction, what do we see Christ doing? Standing. This time, he doesn't stop it, though. And I want you to just keep reading. Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and look at verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, I write in my Bible, I circle that. Because I believe Stephen's martyrdom was to be a witness to this man, Saul, who was on a religious rampage to destroy the church. But one in just a few moments of time in the Bible, just a chapter or so away, he's going to have a miraculous conversion and he's going to become the Gentile, or he's going to become the apostle to the rest of the world. You and I are in this church building today because the apostle, uh, because Saul became the apostle Paul, and I believe Christian, I believe Stephen, standing for his convictions, was the witness that led him to Christ. Look at verse fifty-nine. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Now, now think about this. Every one of us, including me, wants to live a long life. How about you? Say praise the Lord. And I want to live a healthy life. I don't want to die in a hospital. I just want to live to 100 and, and then look at, look at my wife and go to bed that night and say, let's go to heaven. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. 
But sometimes you don't get to make it up that way. But Stephen is not wanting to stay on this earth. Look at the scripture. Stephen is saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out with a loud voice. Now, what would you do if somebody was throwing rocks at you and these rocks had the potential they were killing you? Wouldn't you want to say like, would you get them, God? Would you just go ahead and take them out? Would you just get even? But he didn't. Something supernatural happened. He said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, which simply means when he said it, he died. Now, here's something I want to, if I can bring this to a close. Unshakable faith will never let you down. See, his faith in, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did we see? We saw a miracle come in their life. We saw these guys got thrown in the fire and didn't get burned up. They step out, and they're promoted in this life. We see Stephen, though, go through it, and his faith, listen, was so vibrant in Christ that he saw the Lord Jesus, and he literally went to heaven, I believe, at the applause of angels. So here's what I want you to see. Sometimes conviction has a price tag to it, but I want to encourage you this. Pay the price anyway. Now, thankfully, most of our convictions are not life-threatening. But if you're here today, for example, let's say you're trying to live, as I said earlier, a sexually pure life. And you're with a group of people and they are pressuring you or your boyfriend or girlfriend is pressuring you. Come on. To do something that you know is right. Have the courage to be like Stephen. Have the courage to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you're with some friends and you're watching a movie. Maybe you're in someone's home and there's some scenes on it you know you've got no business watching. Or, or if you're by yourself, have the conviction and courage to hit that fast-forward button or get up and walk out of the room. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. I'm talking about conviction. Remember the movie Braveheart, the old Mel Gibson movie? He kind of fits those roles. I mean, here's a guy. He's William Wallace. You know, he's trying to liberate Scotland from the oppression uh, of the British rule. Well, here this guy is laid out, and they're killing him. He knows he's going to die. And the last thing out of his mouth is not a cry for mercy, but what was it? Say it again. Freedom. And he drops, and of course, you know, who knows how historically accurate it was, but of course the plot unfolded, and this king that was supposed to submit to England charged, and, and today Scotland's a free nation, supposedly because of the story of William Wallace. Well, listen, I want to tell you as important as that was for, for Scotland, there was something more important that happened when Stephen gave his life, when he stood for his conviction. He influenced the most pivotal man in Western civilization's history since Jesus Christ. He influenced Saul of Tarsus, who would go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, who would found the church in the Mediterranean world, who one day would come to the United States, was because of this man's witness. And this was a religious man. But the, what got his attention was when Stephen, a man of conviction, would not go along with what they were doing. And Saul saw something about his life that forever changed him. And I want to tell you, your conviction, whether you're delivered from the fiery furnace or whether you go down with the ship and lose your job, come on, lose your boyfriend or you lose your life, your stand is a witness to the watching world that Jesus Christ is real, come on, that He's worth living for and if necessary, He's worth dying for. Give the Lord a big hand today. I'll close with this scripture and then we're going to have prayer. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We read it at the beginning. Listen again. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 from the Message Bible. When the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. 
The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. Listen to that. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. Now, you're watching this construction that's going on on the interstate. You're seeing it. Right now, if you just looked at State Line Bridge and the stage that it's in, the phase it's in, before they pour the concrete over what's going to hold up those pilings, or not the pilings, but whatever the cross beams are, they've got tons of steel that just wrap around and wrap around and go down and tie itself, and then they fill it up with concrete, and it becomes unshakable. Can I tell you, that's what God wants to do to you. He wants to give you convictions that are unshakable. He wants to give you Bible-based convictions that will influence your generation. He wants to give you convictions to stand up on a Little League ball team and say, what we're doing is wrong. Come on. I remember vividly when I was a kid, I was playing ball, and my coach, I loved him to death, but my coach was an alcoholic. He drank all the time. He'd go to ball games. If he didn't like what was happening, he would cuss out loud. He would GD this. He would GD that. And I remember this man standing up in the, in, in the stands and said, Sir, would you please not talk that way? We didn't come here to be offended by what you're saying. We came to watch a ball game. Act like an adult. I mean, somebody with the guts to stand up and say right is right and wrong is wrong. That's what I want to pray for you tonight, that you would have the courage. First of all, that you'd have the wisdom to know what needs to be a conviction. Come on, there's a difference between sports teams and environmentalism and all these kind of things out there. And then what really matters in life. It's our stand for Jesus Christ. It's what the Bible teaches us. I want to pray for you tonight that the Holy Spirit would give you steel in your convictions. Would you just bow your heads with me tonight? Really, it's not going to do any good if I pray. What will do some good when you pray. So would you just begin talking to the Lord and say, Lord, would you give me conviction? I, I want to have unshakable faith. I don't want to fall away. I don't want to quit. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to, I don't want to be ashamed of Christian, Christianity. I want to have courage and boldness. Holy Spirit, would you just give me a fresh baptism of boldness? Oh, slip your hands to heaven if you want God to do that. God, would you just give us boldness and courage to stand up in America for what's right, not as a Democrat or Republican or an independent, but as a Christian to have a voice in our society, not just politically, but wherever we go, that you would give us backbone and you would give us courage to stand up for what's right. Holy Spirit, I just want to welcome you to do that because I'll tell you, I'm a weak guy without you. But with you, I can be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if needs be, I can be like Stephen. But we just want to say thank you, Lord, that you said you'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. But you'd always be with us. So whatever we're going to face in life, we can face it with you. And knowing whatever we go through, when we go through it with honor, you're going to look at us one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's my prayer for all my friends tonight. And hey, we're going to have a, a prayer. Here. Let's give the Lord a hand if you like. He's worthy of our praise. Before we go out and have some hamburgers, and I hope everyone will join us. Uh, I hope all of you will come and just kind of hang out with us for burgers.
But before we do that, I want to have an opportunity to pray with you. Because I think perhaps the most important part of the service is what's going to happen for many of us in just a couple minutes. For many of us in just a couple minutes, our prayer team is going to be in the altar. And they're going to be here to stand with you for whatever may be going on in your world. I want to tell you something powerful happens when two people pray. Anybody ever been stuck in the mud somewhere, got your car stuck or your four-wheeler or a tractor or something stuck? Well, guess what you have to do? You have to get somebody else that's a little stronger, get a chain and pull you out. Well, do you know prayer can be just like that? You may find that there's an area of your life where you need God to help you in. I want to tell you what, there's been men and women in this church that have been praying just for the opportunity to spend just a minute or two with you and to hear what you need God to do in your life, to hear where the miracle's needed and pray and believe God that God will do it in your life tonight. And I'm going to believe for that with you. You may, you may be sick in your body. You want someone to pray for you, believing the Scripture. In James, it said, if there's any sick, let him call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. You may want someone to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that same dynamic that they had in the book of Acts would happen to you. But whatever it is, friend, God will do something in this altar for you. I especially want to invite you, if you're here today, and you say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with God. If you put me in a corner, I don't even know if I'm going to heaven or hell. I sure don't have the conviction of those guys that you talked about tonight, but I want to be able to live like that, my life that way. I want to know Jesus Christ in such a fashion that I don't even give my life for Him. You can, friend, because Christianity is not just information up here. Christianity is a life that's been transformed by Jesus Christ, where He literally washes your sins away, gives you a brand new start, and He changes you. So I'm going to ask as our prayer team comes forward right now. And as they're coming, I want you to just stand to your feet. They're going to begin to sing. And as they're coming, let me just invite you to come to the altar for prayer. You want prayer for anything tonight. You want someone to stand with you. You come this evening, and we will stand with you this evening. Come on, everyone, let's stand. We're going to sing this song together. If you want prayer this evening, you come on up and let somebody pray with you, believe God with you, that God will do something big.